Okay, Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. Our Lord says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. The word of the Lord. Excuse me. I appreciate your patience today. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, if you search for art of the wide and narrow road on the internet, you'll find all sorts of images that depict the wide road as the path of sin and the narrow road as the path of righteousness. (coughs) People walking along the wide road in traditional images of the wide and narrow road do the kinds of terrible things that sinners do, like visit the theater and go dancing. One of the famous paintings of the wide and narrow road actually has a devil playing a guitar at the entrance of the wide gate. And on the other side, on the narrow road, you have good Christian folk living a good Christian life of piety, spending time in prayer, reading the Bible, going to church, and helping the poor. And the message, at least in the way this passage is depicted in art, is clear. Choose the right path, 
Choose the path of religious devotion, not the path of sinful error. Choose the path of faithful Christian piety and not the path of self-indulgence. And some of you, those of you who have been walking with us through this entire series on the Sermon on the Mount that we've been preaching through these past two months, some of you might think, well, that's a pretty sudden turn from what Jesus has been saying up until now. And you'd be right. Up until this point, Jesus hasn't been telling us to refrain from sin and live a pious life. <coughs> That's kind of assumed. I'm sorry. <coughs> Jesus hasn't been preaching that we just need to follow the law and live in a righteous way. Jesus, throughout this sermon, has been calling his people to a greater righteousness. And for those of you who have been following with us the whole way, you know that the primary group that Jesus is opposing in this sermon is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees tend to get a bad rap. The Pharisees are the primary opponents of Jesus throughout the gospel. And so it makes sense that after 2,000 years of Christian teaching and learning, we've learned not to like them very much. But in the ancient world in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were seen as kind of religious and moral and ethical superheroes. The Pharisees believed that the appropriate way to live a life that was pleasing to God was by living in a way that was so totally countercultural to the Roman Empire, so completely devoted to following God's law, so that, that people around you could tell you were a little bit weird. You were different. The Pharisees were committed to not compromising their faith, to not blending in with the world around them. <coughs> so they wore different clothes and they ate different food and they lived very differently than the people around them so that they could serve as a model to others of what a flourishing life in the kingdom of God, a flourishing life under God's law could look like. And people loved the Pharisees. People loved them because they showed a counter-narrative to the story that the Roman Empire constantly told, that prosperity and flourishing and peace came from loyalty and devotion and submission to the empire. But the Pharisees said, no, prosperity and flourishing and peace come from, oh, what's this? Cough drops. Thank you so much. <laughs> you guys are too kind. The Pharisees said no. The Pharisees said that prosperity and flourishing and peace came not from loyalty to the empire, but from loyalty and devotion and submission to God. And the way that you reach that level of loyalty and devotion and submission, according to the Pharisees, is by following God's law in a way that is at times embarrassing and scandalizing to the rest of the world that does not know God. And that sounds almost like what Jesus has been saying through the whole Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? 
And this is the, this is the wild thing. The reason that Jesus preaches against the Pharisees is not because they're so opposed to his teaching, to his gospel, but because they're so close. And the thing that they get wrong is so critically wrong. Because the way that one achieves faith, the way that a person becomes loyal and devoted and obedient to God isn't through the kind of radical obedience that the Pharisees advocate. It isn't through these external acts of righteousness. It isn't through a radical life of devotion to a set of precepts and guidelines for living. The way that a person becomes loyal and devoted and obedient to God, the way that a person becomes a person of faith, is by allowing God to transform who they are. And that makes these three vignettes that Jesus uses to close this sermon a little bit terrifying. Jesus uses these three metaphors of the wide and narrow path of wolves in sheep's clothing, of the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand, to show us that the two ways that he's contrasting in this sermon are often externally indistinguishable that we cannot tell the difference when we look at the lives of those around us. If we've been following Jesus' teaching through this whole sermon, it's clear that the wide and easy path isn't the path of sin. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't warning us about a wide and easy path of lust, murder, and burglary that will eventually lead to destruction. Jesus is warning us about the wide and easy path of outward religious devotion that does not transform a person's heart. Jesus is warning us about the wide and easy path of the righteousness of the Pharisees, which most people in Jesus' day would not have considered a wise and e wide and easy path. But the Pharisees, because of their public way of living, their countercultural way of living, their performative spirituality, they earn praise an admiration from those around them, a reward, Jesus says, that is as fleeting as the flowers of the field which are here today and gone tomorrow. This is the terrifying thing about religious devotion, right? A sensitive soul will wonder whether they are the ones, in verse 23, who Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. But that isn't the kind of worry that Jesus is trying to inspire here. Jesus is not trying to get us to fret and worry about our own salvation. Remember, this is the same Lord who earlier in the sermon told us, do not worry. Do not worry about your clothes. Do not worry about your food. Do not worry about your life. It would seem a little strange if then he was saying here, but worry a lot about your salvation. <laughs> really worry. Jesus' point is this, we cannot know who is truly righteous and who is only externally righteous, except by the fruit that is born in their lives. And so we ought not put our faith, our trust in those around us, 
in our own outward acts of devotion. We put our trust in God alone. For those of us who follow Christ, the fruit that is born in our lives is our assurance of salvation. And we see the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of this, as we see the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives, we are comforted and we are assured that God's Spirit is at work within us to prepare us for life in the kingdom of God. But when it comes to others, Jesus is saying, we cannot know the state of their soul. Do not judge lest you be judged, Jesus said earlier in this sermon. And here we see why. Because a wolf can look like a sheep. A bad tree can look like a good tree. And in times of tranquility, a house built on, a sand, can look, built on sand can look as sturdy and secure as a house built on rock. The wide gate and the broad road looks righteous, Jesus says. It looks pious. It looks effective for promoting human well-being and righteousness. But ultimately, it leads to destruction. And we won't see that until times of trial and tribulation come and people are tested and the cracks in their souls are exposed. The false prophets look like sheep. They sound like sheep. They act like sheep. But inside, they are wolves. They are a bad tree that bears bad fruit. And ultimately, their way leads to destruction, but we won't see that oftentimes until the harvest, when all the fruit will be gathered in. Jesus isn't talking here about pernicious heretics who preach falsehood. He's talking about what by all accounts are good Christian leaders, but who over the course of time are revealed to be rotten on the inside. And how too often have we seen that happen? Their way leads to destruction for them and those around them. A teacher who says all the right words and does all the right things, but in their private life are led astray by the lure of power and the appeal of privilege. And in times of trial and tribulation, the cracks in their faith are exposed. The two houses both look secure, they both look safe, they both look well-built. Other than their location, they are indistinguishable. But when the storms of life come, when trial and tribulation are inescapable, when the winds blow and the rains fall and the ground shakes, the house built on a firm foundation stands, and the house built on sand falls with a crash. None of this is intended to push us into despair, as though we can never know whether our faith will stand trial. Jesus isn't trying to get us to chew our nails and sweat over whether we have a strong foundation or not, whether we will bear good fruit or bad. Jesus' words here should be an assurance to us, a comfort to us, that the hard path of wholehearted devotion and loyalty to King Jesus will lead to our greatest possible flourishing and blessing, which is God's will for us. Our faith, 
our salvation. It doesn't depend on us. Thank God. It depends on the one who is faithful. And Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount are an invitation not to work harder, not to worry more, but to trust in Him alone. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been inviting us to join Him on the true path that leads to human flourishing, to join Him in life in the kingdom of God. In the face of all the philosophies and ethical systems of His day and ours, Jesus is telling us that the only true path to flourishing, to a reward that cannot be taken away, is to live in relationship with the God who made us, to live in fellowship and wholehearted trust with our Creator. And this Creator, Jesus says, has appointed His Son as King. Wholehearted loyalty and devotion to this God-appointed King, Jesus, will lead to our greatest flourishing, partially in this age, and fully in the age to come. And this might seem like a cop-out, right? Like, yes, life might be hard, but there's pie in the sky by and by. It can seem escapist. It can seem like a cheap promise of blessing in the great beyond. And in our instant gratification society, we want flourishing now. Promise of a future reward is too uncertain. But I want to reframe that a little bit. Because as kingdom citizens, it makes sense that our flourishing is inextricably bound up with the flourishing of the kingdom of God. As kingdom citizens, our flourishing is tied to the kingdom's flourishing. And while the kingdom has broken into our reality in the person of Jesus, while we see glimpses of it in this life and taste the goodness that is coming, we also know that the kingdom has not yet fully come. We see the ways that this world is still held in the clutches of sin and evil. Suffering and death are all around us. And while they may not always touch our lives, we cry out together with our sisters and brothers around the world. We cry out with the whole creation that groans in eager expectation. The prayer, your kingdom come, is a prayer for our flourishing as citizens of the kingdom of God. It is a prayer for all creation to be restored to what God intends for it to be, no longer broken in pieces by the pain and struggle of this life. We're used to praying for God's kingdom to come. We pray it in the Lord's Prayer. But it's harder for us, I think, in our society of peace and prosperity to pray the prayer of the suffering church Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's hard for us to pray that prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Not just your kingdom come, but come quickly. Because we like our lives right now. We like the prosperity, the privilege, the peace that we're able to enjoy now. But what Jesus reveals to us, what Jesus invites us to see, is that the things that we enjoy now 
will not last. Our health, our families, our relationships, our work, our possessions, our very lives, all of them will be torn apart by death and decay for as long as sin is a reality in this world. And so the prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus, becomes not a prayer of despair, that we can't handle life right now, so come quickly, Lord Jesus, but a prayer of hope. A prayer of hope that God will remove the stain of sin on this creation so that we can enjoy the good things that he has made forever. A prayer of hope that God will establish his kingdom here on earth so that we can live and flourish without the threat of moth and rust and thieves and death. That we can pray the prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we know and trust in the faithful one. The one who will see us through the trials of this life. The one who will strengthen our faith in times of suffering. The one who guarantees that our redemption is near and our reward is sure. We can pray this prayer because we trust and hope in the one who marks us as his own children. Baptized into his name. Adopted into his family. Ambassadors of his kingdom. We can pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we know, we know that he will sustain our faith, that he will be all around us through the trials of this life until he comes again and restores us to himself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. O oh Lord our God, as we have reflected on these words of our Lord over the past two months, we have come to see the ways in which your gospel is not a threat, is not terrifying, but gives us immense comfort and peace even as we travel through the storms of this life, especially when we travel through the storms of this life. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to put our faith not in our own acts of righteousness, not in faithful leaders, great leaders whose teaching we love, not in the path of external righteousness. You invite us to put our faith in you alone. To walk the road that you walked. To bear the fruit that you bore. Lord, we pray that you would be our sure foundation. That we would be those who hear your words 
and put them into practice. That we would be those amazed at your teaching who follow you along the way. Strengthen us, we pray, as we travel through this life. May your kingdom come, and may it come quickly. In your name.